Bielitsa looking, looking, looking. Bogdanovich, three seconds. Bogey for the win! Welcome to Views from the Clutch. I am your boy, Smart Alex. I am here with my co-host. C. Grant. What it do, what it do. We are here for episode 11 of Views from the Clutch. Before we begin, as always, we want to take the time out to say a big time thank you to all of our supporters, all the viewers, everybody out there giving us feedback and all the different formats that we have to be contacted. We now have our own Gmail account where you can send questions and provide feedback. So for y'all out there who prefer to write long, detailed emails or whatever the case may be, or it's just easier on your phone, go ahead and lock in viewsfromtheclutch at gmail.com and go ahead and send us your, you know, whatever it is you got to say. And on that note, we're going to jump into episode 11. Episode 10 was was short and sweet, but it was also great. That should be available soon. Probably by the time y'all hear this, y'all be fresh off of listening to episode 10. We got some hot topics that have actually forced our hand in regards to what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to jump into topic number one. It has just been announced earlier today that DeMarcus Cousins has suffered a tear of his left ACL. And before I begin to speak on how I feel about the situation, let's go ahead and listen to what C. Grant has to say. Yeah, man, Boogie Cousins, man. Man, that's, man, it's sad. It's sad. To, it's sad to hear, man, because you see a guy who who's obviously a phenomenal player. Uh, he's been working working his tail off to try to get back. He had to, he tore his AC. He tore his Achilles back in Sacramento, and that was right before his um, big payday. He so, tore his Achilles actually right after the All Star break as a member of the New Orleans Pelicans. Oh, I said Sacramento. My bad. But, you yeah, know, no he was. I think he was. Tra- wasn't he traded? He was traded. He was traded that same season. Correct. What, he was. Just, he was. He was traded from Sacramento to New Orleans. Yeah. And there was, I think, like a forty-game window where people were trying to figure out if he and Anthony Davis could be sustainable as two bigs playing on the same team, playing heavy minutes, and the results, like in that first, like you know, thirty-game sample, were basically like five hundred. But then they figured it out, and then mm-hmm. I think they went on like a like a fifteen and two run, and that was right around. I think it was right before or right after the All Star break. He tore his Achilles. Uh, New Orleans still wind up making the playoffs. Demarcus winds up not getting an offer worthy to his liking, and winds up playing that year in Golden State that he just completed. During that year in Golden State, he also suffered a left quad injury which took him out during the middle of the playoff run, and he returned for game one of the finals mm-hmm. and played spot minutes here and there during the series and really didn't get any heavy minutes until I think maybe games four, five, and six. Might just have been five and six, but I know late in the series they started to give him heavy starters minutes due to the litany of injuries that they suffered. And it seemed at the time like there was a chance that Boogie could come back to – uh, an above average level of play. So going into this offseason, signs with the Lakers. The Lakers, you as we know, they have essentially a very high-end team as far as the players that they assembled on that team. He was probably going to be their starting center. He had lost an amazing amount of weight based off of what I had seen from a video interview after the signing. And he sustained his injury actually working out in Vegas. And apparently it was 
as reports say, due to some sort of collision. Now, I've never torn my ACL. See, Grant, you ever tore your ACL or anything? No, like that? no, 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 okay. no, no. And I wouldn't wish that on anybody. But from what I know about ACLs, usually it's due to some sort of like overextension or, you know, somehow, some way that ligament gets tested to be on his limits. I've never been familiar with anybody tearing an ACL off of a collision based injury. So uh-huh. that in itself is something that's unique and it was a surprise to my hair to, to find out that that's actually how things came about. But myself being a Lakers fan, I definitely did have high hopes for a resurgence in DeMarcus play this year. But as a basketball fan, I'm devastated because we've witnessed a, a, a young man who really had lost his way and came into the league. Sorry to refer to Loaded Lux, but he really came into the league as a lost ninja. You know, his, his head was on a swivel. He was beefing with Ethan, any and everybody who had something to say that didn't go his way. Reports were that when he was at Kentucky, he wasn't the easiest player to manage, but somehow Calipari made it work, got him drafted very well. Those, those problems continued in Sacramento, and Sacramento wound up, you know, not being able to keep him because DeMarcus had expressed that he wouldn't resign, no matter what type of bag they threw at him, and then his career t- takes the turns that it's now taken. First and foremost, before we go anywhere, as a human being, I want to say to DeMarcus Cousins, I don't know if you'll ever hear this, but I want to say to you, don't ever stop fighting. For whatever it is that you feel you need to pursue in life to get yourself to where you need to be as a human being, don't give up that fight. Whether it's with basketball or without basketball, I think most of us can say that we only want the best for you as a human being and as a person. And I wish you a a, a speedy and healthy and a fully sustainable recovery from all of the injuries that, that you've sustained. Because we know for a fact that you fought hard to get back from the, the Achilles in less than a year. And then you played well off the Achilles injury only to walk into the playoffs and sustain another injury. And then you fought back from that to come back and play from an injury that kept Kawhi out for essentially a season. And I'm not saying they're the same exact injury, but it was a quad. To come back during the same playoff run. So I definitely see that you have a warrior mentality and regardless of whether or not you ever get to play for the Lakers, I definitely do hope that you're able to come back and play professional basketball again in the NBA. I've been reading reports, fan feedback, comments on Facebook, Twitter, people basically denouncing his career, saying it's over for him. He can never come back. And I want him and I want people out there to know that I don't believe that. Even if DeMarcus Cousins is never the DeMarcus Cousins he was prior to all of these injuries, I still look forward to the idea of seeing him being able to put on a professional basketball uniform in the NBA and play basketball. So DeMarcus, man, I know it's going to be a long uphill battle for you, but I I definitely want the best for you as a human being, as a person, and definitely as a basketball fan, I'm looking forward to whenever you return. I'll be there and I'll be cheering for you no matter what uniform you have on. All right. I mean, I, I like him, too. I mean, you did a lot more detail than I would have. But, yo, speedy recovery prayers sent out to him. <laughs> and, and um, yo, he and the sad now, but what's crazy is the dude just, his birthday was the other day. It was Tuesday. Wow. So he, he just turned 29 on Tuesday. So that's crazy. You And I was reading somewhere, and I'm trying to find it, but Boogie was, like, in the process of getting married or, like, 
So he was know. see. So he was he was he was coming together as a full fledged man. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Getting getting his life in order, which tends to happen around players who get into their prime. You know, they start to settle down, and you know, the game and life becomes a little bit slower for them. Sometimes they wind up having kids or whatever the case may be. Something yeah, yeah. brings them to. Yeah, I said what I was saying. I can't guarantee that's what he did. Was getting married, but either way, he was definitely turning the corner. Last year for Golden State was the first time he was ever in the playoffs in his career. He put in a lot of work. Like I said, he was getting a bad rep, but. I mean, he always wanted to win, and his attitude definitely changed for the better with Golden State. You didn't hear too many issues with him. It had, I, mean, I didn't hear any too much noise about him being uh, just demonstrative, demonstrative with um, being in the locker room, being a cancer, anything like that. So, like I said, the injuries definitely have a way of humbling people. Like I said, we, I just honestly wish him to be this best speedy recovery because I like to see players at their full capacity. And playing, Agreed. you know what I'm saying. I don't like Agreed. to see dudes that's you know shell of a shell of themselves because of injuries derailed their career. If you just ain't nice no more because you ain't nice, that's cool. I could deal with that. But if you ain't nice no more because you got injured and battling, that you know what I mean. It's like oh, you know that's the thing. I I don't want to see that. So like I said, hopefully he can bounce back. He's 29. Like I said, he definitely because of injuries will probably never get the bag that he probably should have gotten had he stayed healthy. But in reality, as long as he can get back to the court at his time, and like I said, his prayers go out to him and his family, you know what I'm saying? Because like I said, that, that, that's an emotional toll on everybody that's in DeMarcus Cousins' uh, corner. That's not yeah, because if we us. review, yeah, because if we review the past 24 months for him, regardless of whether you like him or not, you, you, you just, you as a human being, yeah. you have to admit that those are some tur- tough circumstances. First off, let's just be real because I've done extensive research on this, the recovery from an Achilles tear, rupture, whatever verbiage they put in front of that explains that your Achilles broke, mm-hmm. the best all-time recovery from an Achilles injury is still Dominique Wilkins coming back to score 29 points per game mm, yep. for the Atlanta Hawks. Highlight film. As a 32-year-old man who had been in the dunk contest, pretty much every dunk contest since he was a pro. Up until probably his late 20s, he stopped going to dunk contests. So let's say he had maybe like a three-year window where he probably had stopped being the human highlight reel on All-Star Weekend and was just an All-Star. But up until that point, Dominique Wilkins was the epitome of athleticism, or one of them, in the league. Mm -hmm. Tanz's Achilles comes back, remakes his whole entire game, he took, in his career prior to, to the Achilles injury, something like 100 and some odd three-pointers. That year he came back, he took that many that year and made that many. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. So there's a window. There is a way. There is a possibility. Are you going to be the same player you were coming back from Achilles? No. And the reason why I'm focusing on this Achilles situation is because DeMarcus did it first. But we're waiting for Kevin Durant. And everybody's got these expectations of, oh, well, when Durant get back on the court, it's all going to be, no, no. He's going to need time. And you definitely shouldn't have the expectations that he's going to be able to do at what I think will be 31 going on 32 or 32 on the dot. The things that he did in those first 10 years of the league. So let's celebrate these athletes who are able to come back from devastating injuries support them 
and also understand that they're going to be different. And that's the evolution of a basketball player in his whole anyway. I mean, well, Michael it's also Jordan because they got the the low extremities. I mean, you get you get severe career threatening injuries to your lower body. And you're talking a sport where you have to depend on your lower body so much. It's not like these dudes is getting like a broken finger. You know what I mean? You're, get, you're, getting, you're getting these type of injuries where the recovery time is, you know, six months, a year, maybe a year and a half. Like, that's that's an absurd amount because when you think about surgery, some people get surgery in different parts of your body. Yeah, all right, four to six weeks, you're good. Like, no, they're saying, no, you won't ever be back just playing for anywhere between, you know, six months or more. So that shows you how devastating these injuries are. And then, like you said, to play at a high level, at a professional level, he might be, he could probably be the nicest dude in the wreck with an injury like that, but that's not what his goal is. His goal is to be one of the nicest dudes in the NBA. So like I said, to get back to that, that level, when you're dealing with an injury that in reality is most players that have these injuries, it takes, even though they come back in a year, they're not really, a, they're not really as good of a player up until like a year and a half, maybe even to that second season, where mm-hmm. they're actually mentally they're past it because it's a mental game too. I mean, the amount of pain you got to be in, and then you got to deal with the rehab. Mentally, that's a drain on your body because you don't ever want to go back out there and, and re-injure it, have the injury happen again. And you have to learn to rebalance yourself. Yeah, things that you take for granted because, like you said, because of the lower extremities. I'm gonna put it I'll put it in one more capsule before we move on to the next issue, which I'm gonna ask you to point out when we get to that point. But let's just put it in context. In the span of a year and a half, give or take two years, Demarcus Cousins has experienced Kevin Durant's injury, Chris Paul's injury, and now Clay Thompson's injury. All on the uh-huh. same leg in a two-year window. Hey, what about it? What, what about De- it? Wasn't that Derrick Rose's injury too? Derrick Rose also tore his ACL. That is correct. Man, so you're talking about one guy who was probably approaching 300 pounds if he wasn't over 300 pounds, six foot eleven, six ten, mobile, agile, handles, making quick twitch, quick twitch moves all over the court trying to fight his way back to the only game that he knows and loves. So, yeah, I'm, I'm in his corner. I'm in his corner. We all, we all are, man. Like you said, we all are. But, like, I guess we'll keep it to transition to the next point. We'll keep it on another injury front that's not as severe as DeMarcus Cousins, but the fact that Kyle Lowry has to withdraw his name for the Team USA uh, due to injury, not due to because he don't want to play like probably 90% of the other players – that, that bowed you know, out. That, that that said, nah, this ain't the Olympics. You know, um, he said he has a still has surgery on his he has surgery on his thumb, so he's trying to get ready for this upcoming season. Which now I let's put that in context. Kyle Lowry played the entire NBA playoffs with a bandage brace combination on that hand. That thumb mm-hmm. was a known injury during the entirety of the finals and playoffs, and a lot of people, you know. Took, took turns beating him up for his, his inconsistent play leading into the finals. And I think he didn't really wake up in the finals until something like game two. And he was able to string together some, some, some pretty good performances. So mm-hmm. the fact that he took that injury into the offseason and still tried 
to to be a part of the um, national team effort. I applaud that. But again, these players have such short windows to be able to accomplish some of their goals that I'm pretty sure that national team opportunity to actually be on it and play, because I'm pretty sure he's been on a couple of select teams, but he just didn't get picked. To have him do what he did and try, I definitely commend him. But now I'm looking forward to the fact that in his absence, they've been saying that De'Aaron Fox has been on a tear and that they're anticipating that this season, based off of what he's showing in, in the training camp, that people are in trouble. So, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. So, like I said, that's, that, I mean, like I said, it could, for, you know, like I said, it's, it's one of those things where he could be able to bounce back from it. So, it's not a career threatening injury. So, um, but like I said, hopefully speedy recovery to him because he's got an a, a uphill battle next season, especially with Kawhi not being there anymore. Uh, a lot of people are writing the Raptors off, and he's a returning all-star. I mean, as I said, he's one of those all-stars that was on a bubble, and a lot of people didn't know uh, what did he really deserve it, but this is his – he's also an expiring contract in his last year's contract. So he got to put that work in uh, to let people know that he can still play. He's still at the all-star level, and even though the Kawhi's not there, he's the, – the Raptors prior to Kawhi were consistently the number one or number two seed in the playoffs or always making the playoffs. So – like I said, hopefully he can get back to his all-star level of play. And um, like I said, I'd rather see people at their best. best. That way you see the best play the best. Um, but like I said, you know, he, he's a pit bull. He's tough as nails. So if he yeah, can shout out to better, Kyle Lowry. I mean, I, he's from I, Philly. You, so, you know, Philly basketball players had that grit and that grind similar to New York players, you know. So, they so real play. quick, real quick, if, if people want an idea of, of um, Kyle Lowry at his finest, as far as that pit bull mentality that you described, go look at Kyle Lowry versus Ben Simmons on YouTube. It's one of the funniest situations ever. It led to somebody getting ejected, and Kyle Lowry is all of like 5'11", 6 feet tall. We all know Ben Simmons is 6'10". Kyle Lowry was ready to be a goon that game. I don't know if you actually remember C. Grant, but it's, I'm telling you, even after this podcast, text me later when we do our in-between talks, Tell me you went and saw it because it's, it's one of the funniest things you'll ever see. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, we don't want to dwell too long on the on the Team USA thing. Um, what else do we have on the agenda that we were we were prepared to discuss? Are we gonna go into our favorite or are we gonna say that for last? We gonna say for last. Say say that for last. We can go to the GM stuff right now. Okay. Uh, so okay. No, no, no. I was just gonna say we talked about um the top five GMs right now, um, kind of in what present day. Correct. So, who do you pros have? and cons? Pros and cons, yeah. So, who uh, do you who do you have? Who do you want to start with? Um, I, I I was gonna you know point to the man who was probably getting the 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 craziest combination of praise and and, and fire thrown at him at the same time, Mister Sam Presti. Okay, we're going there. All right, let's do it. So, I nominated. Sam Presti is one of the top five GMs because of his eye for talent. And that's, I feel like his eye for talent puts him in the top five general manager category because of the players in his tenure since he's been the general manager. And by the way, in case people don't know, Sam Presti is the general manager for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So Mm -hmm. I nominated him based on the fact that he's going to be historical. He already is. 
No other GM has drafted three consecutive league MVPs ever. In consecutive drafts, you draft a league MVP three years in a row. The probability of that happening is almost like improbable in the first place because honestly, the MVP is one of the most front-loaded awards that the NBA has. Typically, the guys who win it win it again, especially lately. You saw Steve Nash do it twice. You saw Steph Curry do it twice. I think LeBron repeated as an MVP. Uh, Magic may have. Larry Bird won an MVP. Like, the guys who win the MVP, they're usually always, you know, it's always the same group of guys. So when you get three guys in your draft in consecutive years and they wind up going forward to, to you, you've got an eye for talent. And I definitely respect if Sam Presti wants you, you're probably going to be special. So with that being said, I look forward to the continued development of Shea Gilgis-Alexander because he would not let go of Paul George unless he got shy back. Mm-hmm. So that, that speaks highly to what Shy's potential value could be. He definitely shopped Steven Adams, but he made Steven Adams be a, worth, a worthwhile trade asset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So his eye for talent, like I said, I definitely feel like the cons against him are heavy because, yeah, you're great on the eye for talent level, but your ability to manage these guys as far as contracts and such and such, you got some work to do, bro. Yeah, I mean, but they said, let's, let's give him a little bit of history. He started back with the Seattle Supersonics in 2007 because he, no, he was known for when he was his uh, a general manager. He's the dude that traded Ray Allen to um, Boston, you know. So from when Ray Allen played with the Supersonics, he traded him to Boston and because he wanted to start over. So he wanted he got Jack, Jeff Green that year, and also he traded um, Rashad Lewis, you know. So to, to, to Orlando. Orlando. So he he was always trying to rebuild for the future. So that, and, that's and in trading away Ray Allen because I believe. Ray Allen, did he actually get to play one year with Kevin Durant? Or Yeah, I think it was Kevin Durant. Well, I think it was Kevin Durant. No, wait. Or did Kevin Durant get to play with Rashard Lewis? But I recall, I'm pretty, Kevin Durant rookie year. Who's on that team? So all kinds of nobodies. Yeah, Seattle Supersonics, 2007 and eight. By the time I pull it up, it'll it'll already have been too yeah. long. But yeah, so he, um, he played that one year in Seattle because right after that, after that season, they went straight to Oklahoma City. So Kevin Durant was only able to play um, from 2007 2008. But if I'm not mistaken, he was traded, meaning um, Sam Presti traded Ray Allen that same year so I don't know if they got a chance to play no no because okay. you got to figure um Ray Allen won a title in 2008 mm-hmm. so he was gone so he was gone so he didn't get a chance to play with him so the 2007 2008 Sonics Collison Ronald Dupree Durant Francisco Elson Gelabali, Eddie Gill Jeff Green Adrian Griffin, who's now an assistant coach, I think, in the Rockets. Danielle Marshall, big up to Danielle Marshall. You were probably the first UConn three. Um, Ira Newble. These are all guys that we know. 
but like mm-hmm. sheesh as far as their ability to contribute as starters or even just mainland guys. Okay, keep going. Nubel, Johan Petro, Luke Rednauer, who people thought was going to be the next Steve Nash. That didn't work out. Uh, Robert Swift, who was the red-haired 18-year-old, yep. fresh out of high school kid, never developed into anything. Wally, Long Island legend, Zerbiak, mm-hmm. Kurt Thomas, basically uh, in his 13th <laughs> year, having been a like Nick. 31st year, it seemed like. Yeah, Earl Watson, who wound up to becoming the future coach of the Phoenix Suns. Mm-hmm. Delonte West, who we all know had fun. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. Delonte <laughs> West. Delonte West, who, who, who is a flagship member of the beginning of the NBA becoming aware of mental health. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'll leave it with that. Chris Wilcox, who was an avid dunker when he played at University of Maryland, mm-hmm. was pretty, was, you know, Damian Wilkins, younger brother of Dominique. Uh, no, Damian no, Wilkins, the son of, of, son of Gerald Wilkins' son. I'm sorry, I, I definitely got that wrong. He played so much like his dad in, in spots. It, it was Yo. eerie. And Mike Wilkes was the last guy. So going back to what you said, with the whole GM situation, yeah, he 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 emptied out that roster, put them in a position to get draft picks, and one of them led to being Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I I even with him not necessarily doing the right thing by trades up front, it always seems like if you give him a draft pick. He'll go out and turn some coal into a diamond. So I'm curious as to what Sam Presti is going to do to rehabilitate the perception of him as a business trade-making GM with all of the assets that he's collected from the Paul George and Russell Westbrook trades. Your first pick. Yeah, I didn't realize Sam Presti's only 42 years old. Exactly. So he's a young dude. So when he did that, when he was a GM, he was, what, 30? That's crazy. Uh, my first pick was well, actually he was he was he was one of my picks. Um, I'll go with I'll move forward. We might have similar picks. Uh, I'll save him for last. I'll save him. Uh, what's the dude in Portland? The um, was it uh, oh, something Coach O'Shea? Is that yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil, Neil, I think it's Neil O'Shea. Um, general manager of the Portland Trailblazer. Yeah, he was the general manager of Portland Trailblazer. Um, and he was the general manager from 2000 and yeah, he was 2010 because that's when they had uh, Mike Dunleavy senior. Um, they got rid of him and then basically he came in, he came in and if I'm not mistaken, he, he's credited with, uh, drafting Dame and CJ. Let me look that up. Let me just double check with the, uh, when Dame was drafted, but if I'm not mistaken, he was credited with drafting yeah yeah he drafted dame and cj so dame in 2000 and he became he became the general manager officially of the portland trailblazers yeah, in 2010 10, yeah 2010 so at that point you know he's trying to do he's trying to also do a lot of cleanup during that time frame too because um you know as we all know portland still had that they were known for you know having that kind of like weird rap like they had the jailblazers back during rasheed wallace zach randolph and the um, you know th- them those days, and he came in and kind of cleared that cleared that scene up a little bit. 
then 2010, like I said, he was able to draft some pretty pretty um, stout players. They drafted. Um, let me see. What's crazy about the whole Neil O'Shea and his 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 brilliance as a GM? He didn't get any of the credit for it until the guy who did get the credit for it flopped miserably when he went to the Charlotte Bobcats, Hornets, whatever you want to call them, Rich Cho. That's right. That's so, right. so Portland had a two-headed front office situation where one guy got the credit, got to run out and be the face. That was Rich Cho. And the other guy actually did the work. And we all know, because he's still there, that it was Neil O'Shea who, who basically spun the wheels behind that rapid rebuild mm-hmm. that, the, that the Trailblazers had. Because if you go into that season... They they had they had a hodgepodge roster of quite a few talents, but they just didn't really have any cohesion. So he had to start moving parts to give some stability to that franchise. Because I mean they had Marcus Aldridge, they, they had, had Bra- Bra- well, they also had Brandon Roy, who was stupid nice, but injuries took his career. Um they had Gerald Wallace in his prime. Joe Wallace, yeah, they had Joe Wallace. Dre Miller. Yeah. They had a, yeah. they had they had they had Wesley Matthews coming off of his first year. They uh-huh. had Rudy Fernandez. Oh yeah, he was I remember him with the shooting the threes, a Spanish dude. Dante Cunningham was a rookie. Yeah, he's a role player. That's what and they had, and they had they they had Canby basically in the tail end of his career and they had Nick Batum. So and all of these guys that we're mentioning either just wrapped up their career or are known as quality players in the NBA for some portion of their career, they were all in Portland. And Neil had to pick who stayed and who go. And none of those guys are there right now. None of them. Mm -hmm. Not a single one of those guys we named. We all know that LaMarcus wanted out. Why? To this day, I don't think I've ever really got an explanation, but he he, he wanted to go to the Spurs. And that was after he had an amazing playoff run with him and Dame Little. I thought they were going to be like a little dynamic duo. You know what I, I, mean? I thought so too. So obviously, we he knew something we didn't. Yeah. Uh, also, they had Patty Mills too. I don't know if you. Uh, yeah, they also had Patty Mills. I think. Wow. Are you kidding? So they were. Um, they yeah, were loaded. They, yeah, on the low, on the low, man. They had a little nice little, nice little joint. They made the playoffs that year. Portland's always been one of those under the radar. We're not extremely good. Like they've been those like, like they've been as a consistent team. Like I know they missed the playoffs some years, so they haven't been as as strong as the the Spurs. But they've been um pretty decent. If you if you really start looking at the Portland for the last like ten years, they've been all right. Because like I said, the Brandon Roy years that pretty much carried them over till they got Dame. You know, and then Dame has always been very consistent with them. So, I mean, well, like you said, in 2011, that's the year before Dame got drafted. So, and that's the year. Okay, so I have, I actually have his his, his track record as a GM to some extent available. It's on Basketball Reference. You have to literally look him up by his name. He starts getting credit as of June of 2012, which is the summer that Rich Joe went over to – he starts by selecting Dame Lillard, mm-hmm. Myers Leonard, Will yeah. Barton, who's now an integral six man in, in Denver, and Tyshawn yeah. Taylor, who was a pretty good point guard playing at Kansas. And he flipped Tyshawn to New Jersey. Um, he somehow was able to jettison Felton and Kurt Thomas 
back to the Knicks. Damn. He tired. He hired Terry Stotts. Yeah, but Stotts has been a coach since what two thousand. I'll figure it out. Oh, two thousand twelve. I thought it was. Yeah. Okay. He wasn't oh, their coach because he, re- he replaced Nate McMillan. That's right. That's right. Correct. In 2013, he signs or so, or he drafts C.J. McCollum. Mm-hmm. He Not had. Yeah. He still had Lamarcus Aldridge. Correct. Um, and like I said, he uh, he had a they had a um, like I said, they they had their backcourt set. Now it was working out, and they had, in their opinion, they had um Lamarcus Aldridge, so they thought that was going to be a good point. They had drafted Robin Lopez. Um, who was just a, who was the five, so he could always bump Lamarcus over over to the four, which mm-hmm. Lamarcus always wanted to be the four. He hated playing the five. Yeah, so, this that that's a, that's a topic for a, a whole entire whole podcast. Yeah. Guys who played the four but really were fives, mm-hmm. starring Tim Duncan. But we'll get to that. You know, Anthony Davis is on that list. There's so many yeah. great, great, great big men who wanted nothing to do with the center position, but essentially. Always played the best statistically for their team there. But um, I do have one red flag against Neil. No, tell me. I think, it's, I, think I know what you're going to say, but go ahead and say it. Anybody who, and I don't want to curse, but anybody who has to take credit for drafting Rondé Hollis Jefferson gets a red flag in my – I'm sorry, bro. He, Rondé Hollis Jefferson – was the 23rd pick in the first round. That is a what crime. Year? Wait, what year? 2015. Okay, okay, okay. I, I was looking at somebody else because I thought you were going to go there, but go ahead. Keep nah, going. you could go there now. I, I'm pretty sure I saved it. I, I think I know which one you're talking about, but but I figured I, w- I would throw that out there because Rondé Hollis Jefferson, God bless you. I do hope that you continue to have a career in the NBA. I'm not saying you're not an NBA player, but it's been like, 2015 to now, four years, and you don't know what position you play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, I was going to um, wait, 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 hold. Where does it do that? Okay, no, no. Somehow, okay, but they didn't draft him, so okay, I take that back. I was going to say Thomas Robinson, but they didn't draft him. But they did. They take traded him. for him. They traded for him because that was he only played. If I'm not mistaken, he only played in. Sacramento for that one year. Yeah, he played. He said, this is, you know, something's crazy when you play in Sacramento for one year, your rookie year, right? Then you go to Houston for about 19 games. Then you sign with Portland and play two years. And you're only averaging four to five points a game off 12 minutes. You would, and, and you just got into the league. You are a undersized power forward. Who had some athletic ability? You were one of the wait, 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 wait. You were one of the nation's leaders in rebounds and double doubles when you were in college. Let's not underscore. Thomas Robinson did a great job building his draft stock. Yeah, yeah, because he literally. I'm looking at his career in Kansas as a freshman year. He averaged two and a half points. He played 33 games. He only started one. As a sophomore, he only had seven. I mean, seven points. And set of six rebounds, and then as a junior, he went to 17 points and about 12 rebounds a game. And he said, "I'm out of here. I'm going to cash that. Check. I'm getting that check." So and he got that bag. He definitely got the bag because he got drafted number six. 
So, so yeah, Portland. I mean, they 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 for some reason. Wait, wait, wait. One more, one, one more flip that 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 I found interesting. Do you know how he got Zach Collins? He no. flipped Harry Giles and Justin Jackson to get Zach Collins. Oh wow! Harry Giles is actually you could just remove Justin Jackson from the equation, and I, I would say Harry Giles and and Zach Collins are equal swap because Harry Giles is now healthy, and what he's doing now in Sacramento is amazing. He's going to be like they 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 didn't even like blink an eye when uh when 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 homeboy left. You talking about Lamarcus Aldridge? No, when Sacramento watched uh the Kentucky guy who's now playing for Golden State. Oh, Willie Collie Stein. Yeah, they didn't even like all right. Well, Wish you the best, bro. He didn't pan out. It's not that he didn't pan out. Willie Cauley Stein filled his role perfectly. It's just that's not the role that they wanted him to develop into. Remember, he got drafted the same year as uh, Carl Anthony Towns and Bazingas and Carl Anthony Towns, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no I'm saying all, all of them came in the same the same draft. So I watched Willie Cauley Stein, and I knew that he was the second coming of Tyson Chandler. Exactly, exactly. And I don't know how you let a guy like that go. I get it. You've got all these young front court players. But I do think that the statement that, that he made on the way out probably explains it all. Because he felt like he, his agent said they didn't develop him the way he should have been developed. Wow. So anyway, on that note, um, we're going to go to, what is it, the third mm-hmm. GM that, that, that we consider to be um, Trader Danny. <laughs> Trader Danny, that that that's that's my next pick. Danny Ainge is definitely one of the top five general managers in the league. And again, this isn't about them being impervious to scrutiny. Because oh man, we're gonna give Danny Danny a lot of credit for what he did in revamping Boston and squeezing the juice out of the headphones to get that championship that he did with the whole Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett core, and then. Allowing that to deconstruct, fleecing the nets, mm-hmm. and using them to reconfigure the roster into what it is now. But there are moments in between where he's made some really curious moves and basically had a fetish for players who had no interest in playing for Boston and, and it's come back to bite him. But otherwise, I think Danny Ainge is one of the top five guys as an NBA GM. If you see him on the caller ID, you start sweating. Yeah, especially if you're on this team. If you're not on the team, you're like, all right, he's about to sign me. But if you're on that team and he calling, yes, yeah, just start packing. That's even worse because he don't call. That's true. Just, just lips. Yeah, that's true. He might, he might do people dirty and do the one ring and hang up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They're like, oh, oh, Danny called. Next thing you know. But I think, I think Isaiah Thomas is on record as saying he didn't get a call. Yeah, he did. I, I think that's what they said too. I think he found out like via social media or some other non-direct way that he he had been been flipped, and he he's never gonna let. No, he see he he's claimed the quote unquote have moved on from it, but yeah, man, he he did get kind of he got done super greasy. Like yeah. he got he got done five guys. I'm not even gonna hold you. Yeah, and trade and, and Trader Danny has done that quite a few times. I mean, he, even the way that he um, that he ushered 
the Boston guys out, I thought it was kind of cold. You know, like, I mean, there was no real evidence that Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce didn't want to play for the Celtics. There was just evidence that Danny didn't want him there no more. And he was like, look, man, you guys are giving me pennies on the dollar. I got to go and get these pennies. And he turned those pennies into thousands. I mean, the picks that he racked up and the guys he was able to draft from that hall is still epic to this day. I mean, those picks wind up giving you who is it? You get Jalen Brown. You get terrible Terry. You you wind up putting yourself in a position where you can actually trick people into getting Jason Tatum. Oh so, yeah, especially how you do. Wow, that was crazy. Because because the the jury's still out on Markel Fultz. But he flipped Markel Fultz for Jason Tatum. That's what I'm saying. So off production alone, in current day, he's won. Now, mind you, I have seen some recent footage of Markel Fultz. We'll probably uh, approach that in a, in a, in a future podcast because there is some more footage out there of how he's looking. And I definitely want to make sure you're informed before we speak on it. But yeah, Markel Fultz is another podcast topic that we're definitely going to explore. But on that note, with Trader Danny, who's your, who's your next pick? Uh, I went with... Um... Where's, where's my man at? I was going to go with the, I guess I was going to do the legend, you know? I mean, I wouldn't say the, I mean, R.C. Buford. The logo? No, oh, Buford? No, no, no. Oh, yeah. I say Buford. The only reason I say Buford is, and I like him because he was consistent, like, from, I mean, I grant you get Tim Duncan, it's hard not to make the playoffs, but. You still have to pick him. And not, not just that. For you to find the draft picks that you found in Ginobili, in the second round, and Tony Parker in the second round, and to put a lot of different the 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 three and D defenders around and to space the floor because the Spurs were one of the teams that used to always space the floor back from the Sean Elliott days. You know, mm-hmm. they always wanted they wanted to have those corner three point shooters, and they kept they kept Robert Ory around. You know, so like I said, he was um exactly. I mean, it's so crazy because he's been an executive with them. He was he was named basically he was named um, the GM in two thousand two right but mm-hmm. he was he was also he was the team president prior to that since ninety seven but mm-hmm. um, also he's going he come come I think next month he he moves up to um, the Spurs are upgrading him to um, a higher position so he's not going to be the GM anymore he's going to uh, somewhere higher up in the front office uh, but like you said yeah you got to think about it. the Spurs since. Let's just even go from 2002. They've never missed the playoffs. You know, uh, they've been, they won, since 2002, they won three championships. You know, he was executive of the year. Um, two, twice. Twice, twice. So, and also remember, he also flipped George Hill for Kawhi Leonard. Correct. So, you know, the, the, the amount, like I said, that's still, while he was, had the legends, he was building up young players because prior to, prior to Kawhi getting there, a lot of people were like, well, George Hill might be the, the new face of the Spurs because, point guard because Tony Parker was coming off injuries. And mm-hmm. they were like, you know what? George Hill played – he played some good roles and good quality minutes for them. So and he won – I think he won a ring. They were off of a ring season, weren't they? And he got flipped? I got, I'm, I'm looking at that right now. I don't think he got the flip. I think they won. No, 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 because they won the ring. He got drafted in 2018, so they, they, they had just won the ring the season prior. 
Right. So George Hill won a ring with the Spurs. No, 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 got, no, no, oh. no, 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 no. He got drafted the year before after they won the ring. So basically, uh, basically, two thousand seven they won the ring. He got drafted in two thousand eight. Okay. And also, think George Hill was also he was the twenty sixth pick of the draft. So you got to figure. The Spurs have always found players to consistently work. And Kawhi was drafted, what, 14? 15. So you flipped the previous year's 26th pick into the the, the coming year's 15th pick. No, 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 no. Kawhi got drafted in 2011. 2012. Yeah, 11. Regardless, you flipped the 25th pick for the 15th. Exactly. Off of player development, scouting, and an eye for talent. Now, let's just go through some of his transactions because some of them are going to seem minuscule when I name the players involved. But when you realize that these guys were part of title-winning teams, it's crazy. He flipped Malik Rose and somehow, through all of the machinations that later wound up being, he got Nazi Muhammad. Nazi Muhammad played a valuable role as a backup on their front line on a championship-winning team. Mm-hmm. I believe I don't know if Mike Finley won a title there. I don't think he did, but Mike Finley played for the Spurs. Um, Stephen Jackson got a title. He 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 he's the reason why Francisco Elson ever got paid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He was the first GM to give James White a chance. Well, he also got look uh, Barbosa. He um he actually he drafted Barbosa in two thousand thirteen. Correct. I'm mean, two thousand three. I'm sorry, two thousand three. I didn't even know. I didn't realize that. Obviously, like you say, you signed. Yeah, signed, he even signed um, Robert Ory. You know, they signed. He flipped Brent Barry for Kurt Thomas, mm-hmm. and then signed him a month later. Crazy. That's crazy. He had Goran Dragic. Mm-hmm. And flipped him for Dewan Blair, who wound up being, even though Dewan Blair only had a three or four year career. DeWan Blair was their sixth man. He was that energy guy in, in that run where he played for them and then wound up going to play for the Mavericks. He, yep. He's, uh, again, he makes, I don't want to say makes, but he finds a way to consistently supply Popovich with players that make sense playing in San Antonio. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the best attributes for a GM is if what you do as an executive complements the product that get puts out on the floor, you're doing a great job because there are a lot of GMs that we're not mentioning who have drafted phenomenal players, but the overall play out, if you look out of that player's career and wound up where they wind up finishing their career, you realize that all they did was draft a talent. They didn't actually look at the whole scope and impact of the player that they were bringing into that team. And I think Buford and his history of transactions proved that you can bring in the right guys. You, you can sign and stash guys. You can, they're, they're very creative ways to continually keep your team competitive. And when the, when the opportunity strikes and the coal is hot, you can get that one flip you need to put you over that championship edge. And the Spurs mm-hmm. have been able to do that. So Listen, don't count he got, the Spurs. He got Tiago Splitter paid. Did he? I don't even remember where Tiago left the Spurs to go play, but Atlanta. he got a bag. Yeah. Atlanta. Shout out to Atlanta. They'll give you a free agent bag. Just have a great season. And way for Atlanta. Well, not now because of what they've got going, and I think it's really healthy for them. But in mm-hmm. the past, man, if you wanted a bag, Atlanta was the team. Yep. So um, yeah, that's that's basically like you said. He's he's been he's been the ideal model because I I guarantee you, any team, any pretty much every single team 
if they had the what what he had um that run and uh, uh, what's the name Murray to do that the the defensive kid um I think it's what's Dejounte Murray yeah Dejounte Murray twenty ninth pick in two thousand sixteen he was one of the he was like, the first rookie to ever be on the all defensive team or something like that if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. um so like I said you finding these diamond and the roughs. He's replaced the he's replaced the backcourt while the backcourt is still playing. Exactly. So you you still have Demar Derozan there, but yep. the guy who's going to replace him is playing with him right now. And watch out for that kid Lonnie Walker that they drafted, uh, but he messed his foot up last year. But that kid coming out of high coming out of college, a lot There's of people a problem. Was like, there was a problem. They kept saying, "Oh, he's going to the Spurs. Watch out for him. Watch out." They kept saying, "Watch out for him." So. You also got, and then they did, they did a couple of good draft picks this year, and they've got Derek so, White, and Derek White played excellent last year in the playoffs. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And he's playing pretty good for Team USA, for the select team. He's been giving guys a lot of problems. So that's the thing with the Spurs, that system. With and when you drafting those players that know their role and don't have a problem playing that role, this is the type of results you can get. You know, or you, you draft a guy into an organization and culture that can impart that understanding onto them, which exactly. is, which is, which, which again is just another gold star in, in his cap. Um, moving on to my fifth and final pick for mm-hmm. top five GMs. And because there's a part of me that don't always like this dude, but I have to respect his GM handle. And that's Masai Ujiri, who is currently the uh, general manager of the Toronto right. Raptors. Yo, yo, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Masai Ujiri, in full career retrospect, is a general manager genius. He starts in Denver. Mm -hmm. And in the wake of Carmelo being probably the most unhappy basketball player on the planet and basically sending love letters to New York with every shot he took as a Denver nugget, flips Carmelo Anthony onto the unsuspecting Knicks and gets back Gallinari. Who else did he Wilson, use? Felton, Wilson Chandler. Oh, uh, your man. Uh, what's the dude? Oh, what's the other boy's name? Uh, Basically, he traded everybody who helped Amari Stoudemire make the Knicks playoff worthy onto Denver and then proceeds to one by one flip all of those players. Mozgov. Into- That's what I was thinking. Mozgov, correct. And he proceeds to flip all of those players one by one into probably, arguably, the top two, three most talented young cores in the NBA right now over in Denver. Mm -hmm. So you've got the guy who brought Jokic in. Jokic, yeah, yeah. The Joker, yep. See, the problem I have with you, Jerry, is that Spelling his name. Okay. No, yeah, it's just, yeah. Spell check keeps trying to recorrect you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, y'all know what I'm spelling, man. It's supposed to look mispronounced. It's supposed to be. Okay. So let's revisit just the Carmelo Anthony trade in, because the players that wind, wind up coming out of it are outstanding. So in the Carmelo Anthony trade, I'm going to list players. It doesn't matter where they wound up, but this type of talent wound up being party to this trade. Because of that trade, Dario Saric pick was involved. Jamal Murray is involved because he was a pick involved in that trade. Mm. Along with 
all the players we already mentioned, which is Wilson Chandler, Felton, Wilson, who wound up going to Philadelphia, Raymond, who's finishing out his career in Oklahoma City. Oh, wow. Danilo wound up joining him. Mm-hmm. Isn't that ironic? Yeah. Courtesy of the trade from the Clippers this year. Mosgov, who wound up being a starting center for an NBA Finals team, courtesy of the Cleveland Cavaliers. <clears throat> yeah, he drafted Kenneth Fareed. Mm-hmm, 22nd. Traded Raymond Felton for to Portland. Uh, Signed Amari Carroll. Yeah. Probably helped him get the bag that he wound up getting later in his career. Mm-hmm. Selected Evan Fournier, who is now the starting two guard for the Orlando Magic. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's not even getting into the business that he, he's conducted as a Toronto Raptor, where he's basically found anybody who... Again, who, who, we talked who, about those top five worst trades. He was the genius that was able... That flipped Bargnani. Bargnani to the Knicks. Knicks. So remember, the five worst trades, the team receiving a trash player, but there's also, there's also a team that got rid of it, that emptied the trash. You know what I mean? See, that, see, see the thing about it is one man's so, trash so we is gonna... not always another man's treasure, especially in the Banyani case. So, so are we putting Masai on the, on the, on the um, Trader Danny list? Like, if he's calling you and you're a GM, you start sweating? Listen. If Masai is calling you to ask you about any of your players, I think you're nervous. Because you have to be aware that you're probably going to get offered some trash that don't look like trash when the name is said to you. Like, Masai calling you and telling you he wants to give you anybody should immediately make you worry. Mm-hmm. And mind you, I had to say Masai last because I knew you were going to say R.C. Buford. Mm-hmm. And what did Masai do to R.C. Buford? Yeah, he did. He got him. Got, now, got mind championship you. out of him, so, you know. Now, mind you, that's a best-case scenario trade. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's, a, that's, that's the ultimate swing for the fences, and oop, it went over. But still, the Spurs are still recovering from the Kawhi loss. They still were always going to have to. They did make it to the playoffs. But we all know that the dynamic and the, and the trajectory for that team has changed forever because of that trade. Mm-hmm. But here you have two of arguably the best five GMs trading with each other, and there's still going to be some lopsidedness to it. And that's the brilliance of the NBA, that even with two guys who you consider to be on par as far as their ability to negotiate and work things out, somebody still has to wind up taking a loss. And in this regard, I don't know of Masai being on really the losing end of a transaction that caused any type of long-term damage. Like, I mean, maybe we can go back and review all these things. I mean, there is proof that he signed Bismack Biombo, which that's an L by itself. Yeah, yeah. You know, we've already discussed that. But um, beyond that, I mean, he did, or he was the person who gave Kyle Lowry that contract that he's now about to play himself out of. But he got a championship out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that thing about it, but he got he, – he, he, um, he drafted uh, Fred Van Fleet, you know, so like you said, you found the diamonds in the rough. You know, they they got um. So that's the thing. You, you gotta, you, you there's always gonna be some bad moves, but as long as you get, you gotta figure. He was a hot commodity coming in because there was there was the rumor that the Wizards was gonna offer. We're ready to make him like part ownership. Yeah. So obviously he did something good. Yeah, and he and he beat that assault case. Boop boop. Mm. 
So, you know, shout out to Masai. I congratulate you on orchestrating a, a championship roster. I look forward to seeing what he's able to accomplish with the parts that he has on the team. Because essentially, all he really did was add Kawhi to the mix, subtract Valanchunas from the mix, replace him with Mark Gasol. He added OJ Ananubi. He still allowed for there to be room for a guy like Siakam to develop. Mm-hmm. And um, they're, they, they, they stand to be a healthy franchise, even with the loss of Kawhi Leonard, and still are projected to, to be in the playoff running. So a lot of credit goes to anybody who can lose the best player and MVP from a championship-winning team and still be able to fill the roster that without him and not really adding anybody to replace him is expected to be in the playoffs. That, that, that says a lot about your ability to assemble a roster. Um, I think those are our five. Yes, sir. What, what, what's the next topic that we have, the last one, or do we? Or was that it? No, the last one was the we were going to do – it was it was kind of brought, oh, okay. brought about from a one of one of our uh, people that shit that chimed in about he posted something on his Facebook page or to my Facebook page and he and tagged and, he, and then I got tagged yeah and then he talked about you know just just kind of um kind of like the the hoods um the hoods Hall of Fame there's gonna be the players that were nice in the league but maybe not nice enough or politically correct enough to make it to the basketball hall of fame. So those guys that, you know, like you said, you want on your team because you know, they can get you some buckets or they have certain roles, but maybe the NBA doesn't, you know, want them necessarily in the hall of fame. So for whatever reason, I don't handle that. But like I said, so we go, we go call it, we go call this the hood hall of fame, mm-hmm. the, 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 the street hall of fame. And before we start, I want to go ahead and give a disclaimer. Jamal Crawford will not be mentioned because he's still actively considered an NBA player. In order to be nominated for the Hall of Fame, you have to be retired for at least five years. So Jamal Crawford, as soon as you put those five years in off the court, you're on this yeah, list. Yeah, first ballot. Without even a question. Like, we're not even going to say your name. We're Listen. just going to say crossover. Basically, you just come up how and... You in the, how you in the thing and you're not even eligible for it already yet. Facts. So Facts. But I want to do this one in reverse order. Okay. And um, I'm going to start with my number five. Okay. So that's where I can, I, I, can, I can slide into number one. I hope you don't say him as number one because I'm going to be very mad. But I'm going to go with number five, Kenny Anderson. Mm, Chubb, Mr. Chubbs. All right. So I nominate Kenny Anderson to the Hood Hall of Fame for being a Queens street basketball legend. Archbishop Malloy, probably he's in their Hall of Fame for all that he did there as a high school player. I believe, did he win a state title? Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't but he, uh, he, he, he was an all-star. He, 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 was a, he was a McDonald's All-American. He probably had one of the nastiest left-handed dribble crossovers ever seen at the time. Mm-hmm. He went on to play for Bobby Crimmins at Georgia Tech and started their infamous run of drafting New or not yeah, drafting, but being able to sign sign the best point guards from New York City yeah. or the best playground players from New York City. He went to Georgia Tech for like a good five-year run while Bobby Crimmins was a coach over at Georgia Tech. And he he kind of brought the luster back, in my opinion, to New York City playground legends going to big-time schools. 
So I think that without Kenny Anderson doing what he did and did it in the ACC, which was the premier college basketball conference at the time, mm-hmm. I think if he doesn't do what he did, we don't get guys like Ed Coda going to North Carolina, who, who, who's an unsung, really nasty street basketball player from New York who wound up playing for a big-time ACC school. Ed Coda, I believe, did he start for that championship team? Yeah. Yeah. So he's a national title winner. But my number five pick is Kenny Anderson. Mm-hmm. All right, bet, bet, bet. All right, I didn't even. Like, that's my man. I, he was, he was, he was on my list. So yeah, um, I had to steal him from you. That's all I had good. to steal that's him all from good. you. Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. Honestly, I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm. You know what? I'm just gonna. I'm gonna hit you with Rasheed Wallace. You know, Rasheed Wallace, that man. That man from Oh, we playing dirty today. She Hey she man, like you said, in my opinion, does he deserve to be in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I mean definitely. definitely, but you know, at the same time, you know the NBA ain't gonna give it to him because he was in Portland all them years. He lead he's gonna lead the He was NBA. outspoken. Outspoken. He left the NBA in text like for like, for like from like for like ten years straight. You know yeah, for, his career, <laughs> for his career, for his career, he's got to. If he's not top five all-time technicals, then somebody wasn't counting correctly. Exactly. So I think he's the reason for the rule. He is the reason. He is the the Wallace rule, probably. The Rasheed Wallace rule is essentially: if you acquire X amount of techs, you got to sit out some games, and it rolls over into the playoffs because yeah. at first when they rolled it out, it was a regular season only rule. Exactly. And then, and then Rasheed started banging on the referees. In the playoffs, and they was like, "Oh no, nah, we got to add this sauce to the playoffs now too." So now, if you get X amount of technicals in the playoffs, you got to side the game too. Rasheed Wallace, you a legend and, and a Hall of Famer just for that. Yeah, absolutely. Just for that. And, and you, we're not even. And you was a legend for where the Air Force ones, man. You the only factory with the Air Force one. You got your own logo on the side of them joints, man. Come on, man. Fact. I even got a pair up in my closet, man, somewhere in my closet. So you already know. And and. You had everybody thinking you could rap because you intro to Joe Button's freestyle when nobody knew who he was. Oh, hood legend. <laughs> hood legend. Hood basketball hall of fame. Welcome in Rasheed Wallace. Welcome in. Welcome home. Word. And it's so crazy because he went to the University of North Carolina. And Dean Smith and then he played for Dean Smith. And was a model citizen. Shoo, he got to the league, started getting them checks. It's like I'm good, so yeah, that's that's what I got. I figured I just, hey man, you hit me with Kenny A, so I had to get, I had to go there. So, all right, so let me just go ahead and take this guy off the off the ballot now. Let's just get Mr. Um, I eat petroleum jelly when I get on Facebook Live, aka <laughs> Stefan Marbury. Yeah, Steph. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, and get there, yeah, man. Do we have to speak to his accolades? Do we have to speak to the fact that he had Brooklyn on his back? If there's no Stephon Marbury, then there's not going to be uh, um, Sebastian Telfair, and there's definitely not going to be a Lance Stevenson because by bloodline alone, those two young men were able to get themselves in the NBA along with their talent. But because of the reputation of, of being the face of Lincoln High and the inspiration for He Got Game, by the way, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which a lot of people don't know is that that's, that's based on pieces and parts of, of the recruitment of Stephon Marbury. Absolutely, so, absolutely. And for and for many years, I mean his career averages have dipped a little because he played um he played for Boston, he played for a couple of teams a couple of years in New York, but 
for a lot of years, he was averaging his career average was 20, 20 and 10 plus. Was 20 and 8. He never averaged over 10 assists in a season. But he was mm-hmm. he was he was always 20 and 8. So pretty much everywhere he went, he was 20 and 8. You know, he definitely give you that. So like I said, well, absolutely Steph Steph gets the um Steph gets the call. But and actually just for his resurgence in China, you know, in Correct. China, he is phenomenal out there. He they got a statue out for of, of Steph in China. So you know Yeah, in China there's Yao Ming, Stefan Marbury, Derek Rose, and all the NBA legends. Yeah. So like right now in their culture, I mean Jimmy Fredette is probably gonna wind up surpassing one of those guys because of what he does. I don't know if he went back to China this year because I think he got a couple nah, he opportunities. Got, he, he was retired. In... He retired. He's now actually Steph's actually I think a owner of one. No, of... Steph is retired. He's he's the owner of one of the Chinese. Yeah. I was speaking to Gemma. Oh gotcha. I think gotcha. Gemma went back to China because they they had him in summer league. He played all of like thirty eight seconds. Yeah, he left. Yep. And then left because you know that Chinese bag was calling. But yeah, that was my number three pick. Who 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 we got the number two? All right, I was going with. Damn, you said at number two. All right, I want to say. All right, no, I'm gonna go with my man Tim Hardaway. The killer crossover. Mm. He had Chicago, Chicago legend. Yep, UTEP, Mister UTEP, two step. You know he uh, came, got drafted by the Golden State Warriors. He was a fourth orchestrated run TMC. Run TMC. He uh, was a five time All Star, uh, NBA first team. He was uh, he got retired. Actually, by Miami, he he had different facets of his career, but he's one player who was able to adjust through his injuries. Because in Golden State, he was fast up and down the court, real quick, mm-hmm. hit you with the quick, quick. I mean, don't look up John Stockton's. I don't know how long. I don't know how he lasted in the league that long because he was every highlight reel when it was Golden State versus Utah. It was John Stockton trying to play defense. And it was just a clear out and a whip through his legs, cross it back over John Stockton. It was his, him and his little converse Chuck Taylor was out of the picture. It was a wrap for John Stockton. So, <laughs> But John Stockton is on the receiving end of, of pretty job. much every important NBA crossover in the 90s. Yep. I mean, Jason Williams had to let him know, like, listen, white guy, I'm the white guy now. <laughs> I'm the so if you go look up Jason Williams, if you go look up Jason Williams versus John Stockton, and you're and you're a, a big time John Stockton fan, he's gonna bring up some painful memories. I mean, there's a lot of John Stockton victims, but again, that goes to say because John Stockton actually put himself out there and did try and play defense. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. kudos, kudos to John Stockton for getting crossed up by a legend. Tim Hardaway, welcome to the hall. Yep, yeah, yeah, I think he he might have he he had some controversy towards the end of his um. In terms of and like post retirement, that I think might have kept. Yeah, him. he spoke out. He spoke out. He spoke out about homosexuality and gays, and and he suffered the the backlash that comes with when you when when you make decisions like that. And he he he's come full surface about it, and yeah. he admits and understands that that's part of his stigma and why he's not in the Hall of Fame. So maybe maybe his credentials as a player warrant it, but he understands the politics involved, and you know hopefully. Everything comes full circle, and he's able to to join the hall because now you're on Springfield Boulevard in our hall, mm-hmm. but where you belong is in Springfield, Massachusetts, and we hope you're able to get yourself there. Yeah, yeah. But being that, but being that we're approaching almost the closing moments of our runtime, I want to go ahead and wrap this up by saying that the number one pick for the Hood Hall of Fame 
is the only player to be the face of street basketball and to also play in the NBA Finals and catch a street basketball highlight. <laughs> the man is from Queens. Oh. Slightly over six feet. There we go. Had some of the most deadly in-between spin moves. Whoop, I'm there. Nope, I'm not. Oh, I'm going to block that finger roll. Oh, my God. Did he just go underneath me and behind the backboard? He can't jump. Mr. Skip to my Lou. I'll fight anybody if I have to. Ray for Austin. Mm. (laughs) Ray for Austin. Mr. You still gamble on farmers. (laughs) Yo, Mr. Mr. The the buzz is so busy about him that the Milwaukee Bucks picked him up because they was like, wait a minute, this cat is doing what and where? Let Listen. you know what? Let's 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 give a full deserved tribute to this man as a basketball player. I don't know him as a person, never met him. Chances are because of our connections through Queens, we'll probably be able to at some point get him on the show. But Rafa Austin was a skinny kid from Queens mm-hmm. who all he wanted to do was work on his handle. Yeah. He got his handle up. And this is the beginning of the camera era. Like if you talk about a player who has a mixtape, it's because Rafer Austin had one first. Absolutely. Rafer Austin had a mixtape where nobody knew his name. Exactly. His name in any level. That skipped in my loop. He didn't have a name. Mm-hmm. All of these players we talk about now that have these mixtapes, it's their name. Yep. Rafer Austin was the guy who had his hood name become his brain. Exactly. And all for the strength of what he did on the N1 mixtape level, he got himself to Jerry Tarkanian to play for Fresno State and be a starting point guard on a team that went to the NCAA tournament. And if they're two guard, Hadn't been a cokehead and alcoholic. Mm, damn. Because he was actually the number one player in that class. Yeah, Chris. Before he went into what was it, Chris Harris? Before he, yeah, before he went into his tailspin at the wrong time in his life. Mm-hmm. They probably because that Fresno State team was talented. Oh yeah. If that if that team was intact, because I believe Rafer did two years at JUCO and then, then Jerry found him and pulled and pulled him up for for two years or maybe he was like a sophomore, whatever the case may be, because he only did two years and then turned pro. Or maybe he only had two years of eligibility, full strength for a D1 school. But whatever the case may be, he shined at Fresno State. I think he also may have been like one of the the nation's leaders in assists that year. Mm -hmm. And got to do it his way. Then he gets to the NBA and he goes to, like you said, the Milwaukee Bucks. And who does he wind up playing for as a coach? Josh Carl. How many point guards who have played for George Carl have ever been happy? <laughs> Gary Payton is on record as saying, as much as we won, it was never fun. Mm. And how many players after that? Okay, George Carl is, he set the trend for win the coach of the year and get fired. Mm-hmm. I think the only guy after him who did that was was Casey when he was the coach of the year for um, the Raptors, and then he winds up getting fired and going to Detroit. Uh, Avery Johnson, too. Oh, well, Avery Johnson deserved to get fired. Anyway. Dang. All right. 
<laughs> Leave that alone. I, I mean, listen, listen. When your whole locker room is against you, there ain't no saving you. Mm-hmm. People actually wanted George Carl to stay. Denver was upset. True, true. Toronto true. was upset when Dwayne Casey got let go. Nobody was sad for Avery. Mm-hmm. Now, getting back to Ray for Austin, though. So he plays with George Carl, who, who tries to change him. Yep. And make him into something that I'm not going to say he wasn't, but something that really didn't allow him to be the player that he was capable of being. And he winds up having kind of a journeyman career because, I mm-hmm. mean, everywhere he went and played, he stayed for multiple years, I think, until like the last couple seasons of his career. So he did his time in Milwaukee. And then was it Houston next? Uh, no, nah, he played a year in my uh, Toronto, a uh, year in Miami. And then he went back to Toronto. And then he played uh, four years in Houston. Played four years in Houston, and he was part of that Jeff Van Gundy-led yep. team with, with Tom Thibodeau orchestrating the defense with Yao Ming and Tracy McGrady. Mm-hmm. And he also had to deal with, I think, I think, is that like Kyle Lowry gets drafted and put there, and that's when they were overstocked at point guard? Or was it right after Rafa left? Uh, but anyway, there was there was there was a couple times where Rafa Austin played for the Houston Rockets, and there was a log jam at point guard, so his minutes weren't always consistent. But he always produced when given an opportunity. So he leaves Houston and he goes to Orlando, and he plays for that legendary Stan Van Gundy led Orlando Magic team mm-hmm. that loses to Kobe in the finals. Mm-hmm. And during the finals, he executes one of his most famous and one mixtape moves. In the finals, mm-hmm. the nasty spin with the drag, I'm going to go underneath the player jumping at me, scoop shot into a layup, finger roll from five feet from the basket and make it bank off <laughs> with your big man jumping. Y'all can go ahead and go Google that. Rafa Austin, street ball move, NBA finals. It's going to come up. You type those words, it's going to come up because I just watched it. So <laughs> Rafa, welcome back to Springfield Boulevard. We appreciate all that you contributed to the game of basketball from a street level to a college level to an NBA level. I wish you nothing but success and health in your life. And I think that's how we're going to wrap up this, this, this 11th show yes, of sir. Views from the Clutch, brother. Absolutely. So we're going to catch y'all on the rebound. We hope that y'all continue to enjoy the podcast. Feedback now. You can also direct it not only through leaving voicemails on our podcast opportunities where you can leave voice recording notes but you can also hit us up on our facebook pages propose a question and tag us we're gonna pull up ain't that right we're gonna pull up yes, sir we're gonna pull up we're gonna we're gonna speak a little bit about it and if the conversation makes it worthy it's gonna be on the podcast shout out to ham we appreciate you for your contribution we should call this the ham show but we don't know if the, everybody out there anyway it is gonna, you know what it, i'm saying it is and also they can head up the uh email address if they want to email any questions or any feedback comments and stuff like that the email address is views views from the clutch at gmail.com and we also have our marketing team in place mm-hmm. so y'all be on the lookout because there, there, there might be some merch coming yeah some views from the clutch merch be on the lookout for that in the near future we might do some giveaways depending depending on on how the feedback continues to accumulate but again man it's nothing but love and appreciation for y'all taking the time out to to, to hear two brothers who once played college basketball together, became great friends, talk about this sport that we love, man. And on that note, good night. Peace. Peace.